Welcome to Sound Lore, the official podcast of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology. I'm David McDonald, chair of the department, and with me today are two of our stellar undergraduate majors, Elise Suarez and Levi Gettleman. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about undergraduate work in folklore and ethnomusicology, and in particular, learning about their research experiences and future plans. Before we begin, however, why don't I ask Elise and Levi to introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about themselves, and in particular, how they came to folklore and ethnomusicology in their undergraduate experience here at Indiana University. Elise, would you mind starting us off? Sure. So I came to folklore. I did not intend on coming to folklore, which I feel like you hear a lot from undergraduate students. I started out here as an English history double major. And then once COVID hit, I realized um, I had a lot of extra time in my schedule because I was meant to study abroad prior to COVID. So I was talking with Christy and I had taken a few folklore classes and she was like, well, you have enough room to major in it. Do you want to do that? And I was just kind of like, sure. So that's kind of how I came to the department. So I added this major as a junior, which is a little bit late, but I don't have any regrets. Awesome. Thank you, Elise. How about you, Levi? My story is relatively similar. I also did not intend to major in folklore and ethnomusicology. I started my career at IU just as a Jewish studies major. And there are so many folklore and ethnomusicology influences in Jewish studies. I, my fabulous Jewish studies advisor, Dr. Carolyn Lipson Walker, of course, has a PhD in folklore and kind of got me to start thinking about it. And then I took a course on um, American Jewish popular music with Judah Cohen. And I was like, ooh, just this idea of ethnography and of getting to kind of just, Think about Jewish culture and in a really new and ritual and everything in a new way. I was just, I was hooked. So here we are. <laughs> That's great. Both of you uh, point out something we've learned long ago that folklore and ethnomusicology is kind of a found major. It's a discovered major. It's not something that's taught in high schools. It's not something that most high schoolers have ever heard of. Usually our undergraduate students come to folklore and ethnomusicology through coursework that they've taken on a lark, maybe for a gen ed credit. And then as you've both described, you kind of fall in love with it once you learn more about it. So Levi, you, you mentioned your entrance to the field through Jewish studies. Where has that led you now? Yeah, so it's led me to, one of the things I love about folklore and ethnomusicology classes is so often they're rooted in, you know, one element, either theoretical or one place or one space, but there's so many ways to tie things in. So at this point, I'm sitting on a handful of projects I've worked on that kind of tie together different folklore and ethnomusicology topics with Jewish studies topics. So, you know, that first course I took with Judah Cohen, I did a, um, a mini ethnography interviewing a couple of Orthodox popular musicians in New York City. I've done, um, my favorite project I think I've worked on is my, my um, project I worked on in Folklore F497, which is kind of the capstone course on Jews in Oklahoma and the making of Jewish identity and American regional identity. You know, and then even right now, I'm just kind of, I'm in a class on Caribbean music and I'm working on something on Jewish music in Curacao and in the Caribbean. So it's really led me kind of everywhere and it's been a wonderful journey. 
I had the fortune of seeing that presentation you gave in 497. It was wonderful work. And I heard that it's, it might actually lead to a publication. I heard that. Is that true? I did. I was reached out to, to submit, encouraged to submit to a publication. I haven't heard back yet, but I did in fact submit it. So. Oh, that's wonderful news. Congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Now, Elise, what are you working on right now? Um, currently, I'm only in one folklore class, so I haven't had as much time to focus on my folklore work, but I think I would like to continue my project from 497 as well, which um, I, I was focusing on the portrayal of mothers and motherhood in urban legends, because I've always been very interested in urban legends, and um, one of Diane Goldstein's classes got me kind of thinking about I believe she wrote an article that discussed like the concept of going crazy and how it is portrayed with men and with women in these legends. So that kind of got me thinking about like women and then motherhood. And so I think I'd really like to continue that in the future. But at the moment, I'm not working on too much except for my ethnomusicology class project. And what is that project? Um, so we, our prompt was pretty lenient. We get to kind of study anything that there's music happening. And I'm currently doing a history of rock and roll certificate. So I'm in a history of the blues class with uh, Professor Andy Hollanden. And the Lomax family is actually getting mentioned a lot in that class. So that kind of made me think that I would like to do something with my blues class. And I think so far I'm gonna focus on his teaching methods and how he keeps this music relevant a hundred years later to students at Indiana University. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Elise. Are you still doing a double major in English and history? Yes, so I'm, I have three majors now. <laughs> okay, so this is another thing that I've learned about our undergraduate majors and minors is they often are very passionate about the work that they do and overachievers, the lot of them, mostly in that they have double and sometimes triple majors. Now, Elise, how are you able to handle that kind of workload? Um, one thing that made it really easy, I was very fortunate to have a lot of AP and dual credit options in high school. Mm -hmm. So that got a lot of my general requirements out of the way. And I was kind of overachieving as a freshman and took a bunch of six class semesters. So I, I got my English degree out of the way my junior year and I had enough time to even double minor if I'd wanted to, but I decided to make folklore into a third major because I just enjoyed the classes so much. I'd, I wanted to get more credit for it than just a minor, so. That's extraordinary. So I have another question for you, Elise. You're in this class with Diane Goldstein. Was this the class that kind of turned you on to folklore? That was one of them. I'd taken a class the semester prior with Dr. Dobler. It was his urban legends class. And that got me really interested in the department. So then I saw that Diane Goldstein's supernatural course was offered. And I've always been very into like paranormal stories and stuff like that. So I enrolled in her class and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot that I wasn't really expecting to learn. So you have an interesting perspective, and I imagine Levi, you do too, in that uh, you're kind of dabbling across the humanities on this campus. So my next question is, uh, what is it about folklore that distinguishes it, and ethnomusicology, what is it about th this kind of degree program that distinguishes it from the other humanities departments you've engaged with, like English or history? 
One thing that I would say I really enjoy about folklore is it's a lot more personal histories I've found. And I found that to be kind of lacking in some of my history degree because you don't usually get the opportunity to talk to real people and see how these things affect their lives now. So that's one thing that I've really enjoyed and noticed about the degree. It's helped me just kind of gain that kind of more personal perspective on things. That's a great point. Levi, what about you? Yeah, I mean, pretty similar answer. I think that, you know, I definitely think that theoretically, you know, folklore has a lot of, um, and ethnomusicology has a lot of theoretical bases that kind of spread throughout the humanities and that I think have influenced my work in other areas. But I think that this unique space of, as opposed to just engaging with kind of written text or, um, you know, that sort of thing, we get to work with living texts and we get the opportunity and are encouraged in coursework to go out and do mini field work. I think that that's a very rare thing in undergraduate courses to get to do. And, you know, as opposed to just writing a final project on say a novel or a historical event, you know, I've been encouraged so many times to go have a conversation with someone and write about it or go experience an event or go, you know, see a ritual or go think about how your family does something. And to really get to, I think, see the theoretical in action and not just kind of learn about it in that classroom setting, but to bring the classroom and the world together is a magical thing. So you've pointed to another aspect of the department, both in terms of method and topic or theme. In terms of method, we're really talking to live people. You just pointed it out where our own families can be our subjects of research and the ways that we engage with living people creates interesting opportunities to engage with others. And then Elise, you've kind of pointed out how uh, we're often looking at the peripheries of society and of belief and of the margins and the kinds of practices that may not always show up in a, in a larger kind of historical overview of society. Those are two, you, you've both really given some excellent definitions of both folklore and ethnomusicology uh, just in the work that you're doing. Elise, have you been able to do any ethnographic work other than your 497 project? I've been able to do kind of like a mini ethnography in other classes because time constraints that come along with, you know, final papers and everything. Yeah. But I have gotten to talk to some some of my friends and family and even learn about them and how we have different perspectives. One of my favorites was just, I got to do for Dr. K's Indiana course. Um, I interviewed my mom about the sugar cream pie, which is something that I had never even really thought as important or anything like that. And it ended up being like a really intriguing ethnography for me because you know it's you don't you don't think of a pie as super important culturally usually and you may not even think of your family as being repositories of cultural knowledge either dr john k's indiana folklore class is a favorite among many of our students mostly because they learn about indiana folklore and the things that they may have been doing their entire lives or their grandparents did in indiana that that like sugar cream pie or um you know, a lot of the other type of uh, practices, vernacular practices, everyday practices that Hoosiers share. Um, Levi, are you a Hoosier? I am not. I am. My, that's a complicated question. I was 
born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, moved to Seattle before high school. And then at my parents, just before I came to IU, moved to Oklahoma City. So I kind of trace my my background all over the Western half of the United States. So one thing I remember about your project was it was so interesting in that it, it gave a history of the Jewish community in Oklahoma City that people might not recognize or even remember that there is a Jewish community there. And your project was basically showing that they have very strong roots in Oklahoma um, and that they are very much a part of Oklahoma culture. Yeah. And I've actually, that's one of the things I've gotten to do in a couple different spaces is think about Jews in regions that we don't think of as Jewish places. Exactly. We think about New York, we think about Chicago, we think about the East Coast as Jewish, and we think about the South and West, Southwest as less Jewish. So to kind of deconstruct those understandings and to say, look, there is rich Jewish culture in Oklahoma City. And then I did another, that same semester, I did a project in um, Dr. Barker's Foodways in the United States class, where I looked at Passover seders and how they're done in a couple different Southern places. I looked at Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I looked at Memphis, Tennessee, um, and then Baton Rouge and Lafayette, Louisiana. So to get to just kind of think about what does, how does space, place, and identity all come together in like the global idea of Judaism and Jewish practice as opposed to the super local idea of place and locality. And it's been a fascinating way that has, I think, changed how we think about what it means to be Jewish. Well, and American even, or even think of Southern regional cultures. Um, what I love about this is that it, it kind of, um, unmoors us from the essentialisms we often apply to people like the Jewish community, for example, where we think of them as being one thing. And what you've pointed out is actually, no, there are many, many different ways to be Jewish across this country based on a lot of different factors. Um, now, Elise, I remember from your presentation, you had some really interesting conclusions about gender and in particular, this trope of madness and motherhood and, and all of these things. What, what were the main takeaways that you wanted to get across there? I mean, there were a few things that I really wanted to focus on. It's, I, I had done a, a historical kind of project in the past, uh, focusing on greeting cards and how we currently talk about women and motherhood. And that also served kind of as inspiration for this. And I just, I feel like we need to highlight some of the unfairness that I know that we know exists, but the fact that it's even just embedded in some of these legends, you don't even hear about the males, or if you do hear about them, they're horrible parents, but they don't get punished, or they're absent parents, and they don't get punished, and it just, it's like a problem in our society that I kind of wanted to convey with all of these legends. It always comes back to women blaming. Right. And you've traced how this even becomes manifest in things like greeting cards. Yes, that was a very interesting project that I worked on just for a couple of weeks, one semester. And that really got me thinking because this, the gendered portrayals, it's, you celebrate mom like one day a year, and then you're like portraying dad is as a lazy person most of these greeting cards often have like beers involved or like 
lawn mowers or sports and all kinds of stuff. And the ones for mom, it's like, thank you for running our whole household. <laughs> yeah. So what do you tell people on the street, maybe family, friends who say, why do we care about urban legends? Um, well, I tell them that it, they're really a reflection of real societal beliefs, issues, things like that, and that those are important to focus on because that's dealing with real people and how we really view things. And if that's not important, then what is, you know? Exactly. And even so far as we can deconstruct greeting cards to uncover hidden biases and um, essentialisms about feminism or femininity and masculinity, motherhood and fatherhood. That's fascinating stuff. So here's the fundamental question. What are you gonna do with all this? Levi, what are you planning on doing with all this work that you've been doing? Yeah, so I, I've known for a long time that kind of my long-term goal is rabbinical school and to become a, a rabbi eventually. And I was just reflecting in another space about how much my work that I've done in folklore and ethnomusicology is gonna shape that career path for me. And how just the way I think about, as I mentioned before, Jewish culture, Jewish identity, also the way I think about ritual and the functions and um, value of ritual, and then of music in the synagogue space are all things that I've learned through my folklore and ethnomusicology coursework and projects. And then I was, you know, I think the other really great thing is that the lenses and kind of theoretical framework of folklore and ethnomusicology is not limited to the space of the present either. And I wrote a, um, a Jewish studies honors thesis la that I finished last semester that looks primarily at, at space and temple space in ancient documents, including um, a couple of biblical books and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And part of the big theoretical thing I did there was talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls as an inherently folkloric document that deals with vernacular histories. And, um, and I just think that, you know, having that framework to build into a career that involves looking at text, looking at ritual, looking at identity is an extremely powerful tool to have. That's, that's wonderful. Elise, you've done a lot of really interesting work in your time here so far. How do you see the work you've done in folklore serving you in the future? Um, in the future, I would definitely like to continue on into a graduate program. Um, I, I've discussed this with several different professors, some in the folklore and some in the English department. And I think I would like to kind of translate both of those degrees into a degree in rhetoric, because what I've really focused on in the department here is a lot of the language and things that are used in these urban legends that I research. I feel like rhetoric is a good, good way to combine these two interests of mine so that I don't have to pick between one degree or the other. That seems to be a difficulty on your part in general is choosing one degree over another. Yes, it has been very hard when I've been doing the application process trying to decide what programs to apply to. That's actually a wonderful compliment. You have a voracious uh, approach to knowledge um, uh, that will no doubt serve you well. Uh, so you're thinking rhetoric might be where this leads you. 
Yes, as of right now, that is my thinking. I believe that I want to get a PhD right now and continue, hopefully become a professor and eventually teach, but we'll see what ends up happening. I know a lot of people go on that track and then some of them end up moving on to law school even. So, but that's the goal at the moment. The good news is the work that you're doing can be translated in infinite numbers of directions, uh, depending upon your interests and the problems that you'd like to solve in life. Yes, that's what I, that's what I enjoy about my degrees. So, okay. Tell me honestly, what do your friends and families often say or react when you tell them you're getting a degree in folklore and ethnomusicology? My parents, for the most part, have been like, that's super cool. But then other relatives are like, what are you going to do with that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they don't really have a super huge understanding of what it is, I think, is where it comes from. Whereas my mom in particular, she likes to listen to a few folklore podcasts. I don't think she's listened to sound more yet, but maybe this will convince her to listen to a well, few. Hopefully she'll at least listen to this episode. I hope so. But for the most part, my friends and family are very supportive and just whatever I want to do. I'm one of the first members of my family to actually complete a college degree. So they're like, as long as you're happy with what you're doing, we don't care. Oh, that's wonderful. Levi, how about you? Um, I think it's a lot of definitely that why why folklore and ethnomusicology? What's the what is that even? They're big scary words sometimes. And I think, you know, just boiling it down into what it, you know, the different elements that make up folklore and ethnomusicology, talking about how it's about people and about their traditions and the way that they do things is, you know, a helpful framework to showing, wow, this is such a so specific yet so universal at the same time that it's very practical, in fact, to have a degree in folklore and ethnomusicology. And I think often after a little bit of that explanation, they say, okay, I get the appeal now. It's, it's funny. I had a similar experience. Um, my undergraduate degree was in music performance. And to this day, some 30 years later, I still get that question from friends and family. So what are you doing with a music degree? And to be honest, you've just explained it. You both have explained it really well. You're learning about people, how people think, what people do, how people make sense of the world around them, uh, whether that's through narrative, rhetoric, ritual, or sound. They're all different modalities of the same impulse, which is to figure out who we are in the world. That's the way I explain it. I imagine everybody has to come up with their own little ele uh, elevator pitch on, on why they chose it. But I'm certainly glad both of you did. Now, before we wind things up for this episode, I'd love to hear, if anything, who was the professor in folklore and ethnomusicology that you think really kind of made things click for you? Levi, why don't you start us off? Well, I can talk about a couple people. I know that not he's not technically with the department, but Judah Cohen is such an important influence for me because that was the first class I really took that I was like, okay, this is the type of thing I love to keep doing. And someone who I continually turn to as a mentor and just wonderful faculty member. I would also, oh my God, there's so many I could talk about. I. I mean, more recently, Dr. Otero and 497 has really changed how I 
the work I do, the way I approach field work, the way I approach ethnography, the way I approach ritual. And it's been such, such important conversations that change who I am as a thinker. So those are just a couple of the people I'd name as what got me hooked and has continued to help me grow. Oh, that's high praise. Thank you, Levi. Elise, how about you? Yeah, I also have a few people. Um, so Dr. Dana Anderson from the English department, he mostly specializes in rhetoric. And I was talking to him one day and he was like, you know, if it had existed, I think I would have majored in folklore. And that kind of made it click to me like, oh, okay. So there is a big connection here. Um, same as Levi, I also wanna mention Dr. Otero for Levi hit it on the head right there. Um, and then Dr. Dobler was also very influential for me because for one, he was the first class that I'd ever taken. And I just kept going back to his classes. I think he teaches it in a way that makes it appealing to people that might not know quite what folklore is at first. And then once you stick with it, you're like, yeah, I like this. So I, I took methods and theories with him as well. And that helped with the more complicated aspects of the major. So yeah, I, I'd say there's so many that I could name because I've really enjoyed working with everybody, but those are some of the, the major people. I'm really glad you brought up uh, Dr. Dana Anderson. He is legend on this campus, uh, by far one of the best teachers in this entire university. Um, and I've seen him give a couple talks uh, and at every one of those talks, I think to myself, oh, this guy's a folklorist. <laughs> Yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's really the best. Um, he has the best advice for undergraduates too. I, anyone out there looking to uh, learn from someone brilliant on campus uh, should definitely seek out Dr. Dana Anderson, as well as the folks you've already mentioned, Dr. Judah Cohen, Dr. Solimar Otero, Dr. Robbie Dobler. Um, I am really glad to hear these thoughts and experiences from you both. And I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, all of the things, wonderful things that you've been doing here at IU. It's really quite encouraging and gratifying to see our students doing such amazing things. And you both represent the best that our department has to offer. Uh, so with that, I will really want to thank you both for taking the time to share these ideas, these stories, and hope that when you go on to much greater things that you'll keep in touch with us and let us know how you're doing and if we can help you in any possible way. Soundlore is an official production of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. Produced by David McDonald and Jeremy Reed. Music provided by Pagliazzi and some other clowns. Engineered by Amanda Luke. Questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Leave us a message at 812-855-0396. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Soundlore on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening.